Father God, we pray that you would send the Spirit of God upon the people of God. Come and fill the Word of God and lead us to the Son of God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill all in all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's a joy to be with you today. Um, Thank you for joining us in worship. Uh, If you weren't at the Sunday School Hour, uh, my name is Chris. I'm the new bishop of the Diocese of the Mid-Atlantic. I'm here with my lovely wife, Catherine, who's in the back there. She hates when I point her out, but she's sitting in the back row. Everybody turn and give her a wave. I know, she's, she's going to be upset with me afterwards for that. Uh, we're the parents of, of three 20-something children, Anna, Caroline, and Nathan, and we love them very much. Uh, they're fantastic people. Um, I'm going to give you permission to be relaxed as I preach, uh, not uptight. And what that means is I'm going to need a little bit of your help as I start my sermon. Uh, there was a song that my wife and I used to sing to our children when they were very young, and we ourselves learned it when we were very young, and I suspect at least some of you know this song, and so I'm going to invite you to do something. If you know this song, then you can do the clapping part, and it's okay to smile, it's all right. It's church, but you can smile. (laughs) To do the clapping part, and then when I point to you, if you know the words, you can sing the words back, okay? That way I'm not the only one looking foolish singing. You're going to join with me in this. The way the song goes is like this. If you're happy and you know it. If you're happy and you know it. If you're happy and you know it, then you're. If you're happy and you know it. Well done. Well done, you. Thank you for just entertaining me in that way. I have instructed the audio booth to kill my, my vocals most of the time I'm singing. Um, there will only be one other moment in this service when I, when I sort of sing and it will be here. That's a song about happiness, but it's not the only well-known song about happiness in our culture. A few years ago, Pharrell Williams wrote a song called Happy, Uh, That was for the Despicable Me 2 soundtrack. It became a number one hit. Some of you probably know the song because I'm happy, clap along. I'm going to just sort of paraphrase it. If you feel like a room without a roof, if you're happy, clap along. If happiness is the truth. Happiness is a really big deal in our culture. That's why we sing songs about it, and they're songs that aren't just songs, but songs that affect us and that go, in this case, to being a number one hit. It, that first one is a song we taught children, and many of you were able to remember it from I don't know how long ago it was you were a child, but it's still in there. Happiness is very important. It's a deep value in this culture. It's, it's so deep, it's woven into our founding documents. The preamble of the Declaration of the Independ- uh, the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable light, uh, rights that are among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It runs deeply in the fabric of this culture. 
And as a pastor over many years, I can't tell you the number of times I've had people in my office, often in the midst of a time of difficulty, in the time of a challenge in their marriage, in a struggle in school, in some kind of chaos that was going on in their life. And they said to me, Chris, I just want to be happy. Perhaps some of you have said that too at some point along the way in your journey. I just want to be happy. How how do I get happy? What does that look like? And why is it so elusive? Why is happiness so elusive? You know, if you talk to a single person, they'll often say, if only I were in a relationship, then I'd be happy. And then you talk to a person in a relationship and they say, if only we were married, then we'd be happy. And then you talk to some married people and they say, if only I were single again, then I'd be happy. A couple without children says, if only we had children, then we'd be happy. And then you have a couple of kids and you think, oh my goodness, if only they'd leave home, (laughs) then we'd be happy. And then they leave home, you go, if only they'd come back. And then at some point you think, if only we had grandchildren, then we'd be happy. And then grandparents, well, they look kind of (laughs) happy. Well, at least they look happy when they're showing you the 27 new pictures of their grandchild that you didn't necessarily ask to see. But they're more than willing to show you, and I'm sure I'll get a few at the door as you're leaving. What is it that you're looking for to make you happy? Is it a conflict-free family gathering? It's November. The holidays are coming. Is it having a stress-free life in a beautiful home? (laughs) Having a lot of money, retiring to the beach or the mountains or an island or wherever, being admired by other people, having fame, being an influencer, Maybe the star athlete, the, the top of your class getting into the school of your choosing, having a successful career, getting ahead of everyone else. Maybe some of you remember the bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys wins. You don't believe that one. It's still, you're still dead, right? Jesus Christ spoke about happiness. Not everybody understands that. They, they wonder about the church. Does the church know anything of happiness? Well, our Lord spoke about happiness. As we heard those words from Matthew chapter 5, his most well-known sermon, his longest, chapter 5 through 7, he's talking about the theme, at least he begins with the theme of how to be happy. If you look at that text in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, you'll notice nine times... He says, blessed are you. And the word blessed in Greek is the word makarios, which means happy, blissful, fortunate, contented. But happiness, according to Jesus, is far more than a subjective feeling that's based upon circumstances going my way, or at least having events occur in my favor and to my advantage. As you look at the statements he makes, things like, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
you realize that these are not the values our culture says lead to happiness, and these sure aren't the kind of things you're going to see trending on social media. Jesus is speaking about the blessedness and the happiness that occurs when you are in an unhindered relationship with God. An unhindered relationship with God. Now, you may not know this, but I love backpacking. Uh, And I've had the joy of backpacking in Alaska, in Colorado, a lot in the mountains of North Carolina, which was near where we used to live. We lived in South Carolina, but you have to go to North Carolina to find mountains. And when we would be hiking, often these trails that we'd follow, we hiked for many, many miles, more often than not, they would often follow along streams and rivers as the natural water courses were weaving their way through the mountains. Is, uh, very often, that's where you'll find a trail. And when you walk along these streams or these rivers, so often what you'll see is trees that fall over the water and hinder its flow. And that's where you tend to see a pool build up. And you often see a lot of debris gather. You often, they're, they're not always very pretty spaces because they're full of leaves and junk gets caught in there. Jesus says a blessed and happy life is an unhindered life through which God can move without a bunch of debris getting in the way, without a bunch of debris clogging things up and preventing his presence from flowing freely in us and with us and through us to the world around us. And so as he's speaking in these first verses of this Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Beatitudes, he's describing what it means to live and enjoy the conscious and enabling presence of the living God, day by day, moment by moment, week in and week out, year in and year out, this blessedness, This happiness, catch this, important. It doesn't come, and he never says it comes, because of our religiousness, the things we do. There's nothing wrong with the ways we worship, the things that we do, but it's not related to that, nor is it related to some kind of moralism that comes into our lives. This blessedness comes because we are aligned with the living Lord Jesus Christ. We're aligned with him and with his kingdom. It has everything to do with our trust in him and all that he has accomplished on our behalf in his coming into the world, in his living the kind of life that we were meant to live, in his dying as a sacrifice on our behalf and in our place upon the cross. And thank God as the Lord raised him up, showing that the penalty had been paid so that he now has ascended to the right hand of the throne. That beautiful picture from Revelation of what eternity is like is everything is centered on the throne of God Almighty and of the Lamb. This blessedness has to do with our willingness to trust in Him. And to put it quite simply, blessedness and happiness, it's when the Holy Spirit is at home within your life. Now think about what it's like for someone to be at home with you. Like they they can look in the closets And they go to that back room that you never let anybody into. And they feel completely at ease going in there. When the Holy Spirit is at ease in our life, that's what it is to be blessed, to be happy. Now, for time's sake, and you'll say, thank you, Bishop, I'm not going to go through all nine of these things. That's actually like a nine-week sermon or a lifetime. I'm not sure which. 
But I do want to just touch on the first of these things that Jesus says have to do with blessedness and happiness because it's the doorway from which you enter or through which you enter, but it's also the place you always are in. So it's the way in, but it's the way you go on as well. Jesus says in that first statement of happiness, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like he's showing us where the climate control is in the house that affects the way the house is conditioned. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First and foremost, happiness has to do with being. Listen. If you don't hear anything else I say today, listen. Happiness has to do with being dependent. Being dependent. Being dependent. In fact, everybody say, dependent. Now, this is different from being poor, this idea of being poor in spirit. Being poor means you don't have enough and you lack, but you can still work to get more. You can still put out some kind of an effort to not be poor anymore. But to be poor in spirit is to be empty, bone dry, devoid, broken, humble, and dependent upon God. See, Jesus is not describing those who are self-confident and self-assured, who are self-made, who are self-centered. These are all the values that our culture says will make you happy. Oh, it doesn't, they don't say it that way. But that's what they're pointing to, to these kind of values. And yet, Jesus is saying, no, self-confidence, self-assurance, being self-made, being self-centered are actually the things that separate you from God and will cause you to be absent from the life of God. We have, as I said, a great love for our children, perhaps like you. We have a lot of pictures of them and many of those pictures came when they were little. There's something about when they're brand new, uh, you want to take a lot of photos later, you're just tired, right? especially after you have a few of them. <laughs> but when they were little, particularly as children, whether, whether they're laughing, whether they were crying, whether they're in our arms or, in, uh, or on the floor, um, there's, there's something common to all of those pictures. And what's common is that they were completely dependent upon Catherine and me for their lives, for their needs, for their wants, really for their everything. And, and as we, as good parents, not perfect parents. A couple of you need to be let off the hook. Young parents, you are not perfect. But if you're a good parent, they learn to trust you. And they learn to trust that you'll meet their needs as best as you're able, that you'll engage their hearts, that you'll provide for the depths of who they are. Some of you are parents like that. Some of you, like me, didn't have parents like that. And so that's a deep wound in your life. Well, Jesus tells us in Luke 11, he uses this image as he's teaching us about prayer. He says, look, what, what parent, and I'm going to give a, my loose paraphrase of the Greek. He says, what parent of you, if your child comes and asks you for a peanut butter sandwich, that's the paraphrase part, will give them instead a poisonous snake? 
And, and the answer is, well, no good parent would do that. He says, look, if, if you who are evil, and it's a comparison, in comparison to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, to those who recognize their need, who seek him out, who are dependent upon him for their everything? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are dependent upon God for the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom, God's rule and reign is yours. And this is not just later when you die, hallelujah in the by and by in the great sky. It'll include that. There is an eternal reality that you will never tire of that will always be more, that will be completely captivating, that will be entirely fulfilling, that will be completely joyful, that will astound you, that will make every bit of what you've tasted in this life of joy and goodness and love pale in comparison to what it is to stand, as we say in our Eucharistic liturgy, face to face with the one who loves you and called you and makes you his own, it will include that eternity. And it will never stop. But it begins now. It's not for later. Yes, later. But you don't have later yet. You have now. And the kingdom comes now. The rule and the reign of God comes now into the lives of those who trust Jesus. That should get a hallelujah, at least inside somebody. There you go. You live it now. It shapes you now. It affects all you do now. It's intended for you now and for the people around you who don't know about this now, but whom God wants to have in his life now. The kingdom of heaven is yours. So another way we might say it is, blessed are those who are dependent because God is for you. God is for you. Paul says, God is for you and not against you. He's for you. I remember reading about a man named Eugene Lang. He was in his 60s. He was a very wealthy businessman. He actually was um, a multimillionaire. He had had great success. And he was invited back to his middle school, so junior high. I'm not sure uh, what you come out of, what model. It's either middle school or junior high, depending on where you're from. His was a middle school. It was in East Harlem. And though he was a really busy man, for some reason, he said yes. He sort of wanted to go back to see how it was. He hadn't been back home in a very long time. And so he went back to give this speech at the middle school graduation. Now, that's a tough bunch. I mean, you got to have an anointing to go into a middle school. Just saying, if you're a middle school teacher, the Lord bless you. But, it, but it, you know, he, he got there and he had his carefully uh, written out manuscript and he was talking about the things that he thought they needed to hear about, you know, education, the importance of studying, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to them, it sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 wah. Some of you remember Charlie Brown. And he got really flustered in the middle of his speech, and he just went off the script. And he said, look, if you'll stay in school and you'll study hard, I will provide scholarships for you to go to college. And that elicited a response. 
there were some claps and some yays and some shouts and a lot of chatter started in the auditorium at that point. And so what he did was stay true to his word. Over time, the foundation that he set up, to which he invited a number of other very generous people, sent over 1,200 students from that school to college. That's a lot of scholarships, but he didn't just give money away. He helped the school's administrators with their systems and a lot of the deficits that they were working with. He gave computers and he uh, got tutors for the kids and he poured into them. He gave them the tools they needed. And one student said this, I finally know what it means to have somebody who's for me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the dependent. God is for you. And he has done everything to make you his own. Yours is simply to trust and to receive what he has given you. So what should we do today? Every sermon should come to a what should we do point. Well, it depends on how you came here today. For some of you, you have perhaps never admitted to yourself or another person or to God your own poverty of spirit, your need for dependency. And you'll know this is you because your heart's been hammering inside of you. Because your mind's been going, he's talking to me. But it isn't just the words of the bishop, it's the Spirit of God taking the words of a fool that's all we all are at any level. And taking the word of God, which is the revelation he gives us, and he's trying to call you home. He's trying to call you into relationship. And yours is not to harden your heart, not to stop your ears, not to go away from here and forget the things you've heard, but as best as you can, as honestly as you can, to respond, even now, And as we confess, and just make your prayer sincere. And others of you, well, you've come in here self-assured. You actually trust in yourself as much as you trust in God. You'd never say that, of course. I have a friend. I've had a number of friends who are generals, usually retired. And I have a a friend who is a, a decorated general in my past church. And he, he said at one point, Chris, I've been trained my entire life not to be dependent. I said, yeah, you've got to learn to let go of that because that's going to keep you out of God's life. And that man, as competent as he is, as capable as he is, I mean, a good leader. Like I, I, would, I would follow him. And that man let go of all that and became poor in spirit. And he said it was like a great weight lifting off of him. And some of you come in here this morning and you've known that you've been poor in spirit, but there's some debris, like that stream I was describing, that's like fallen down over that place of freedom with you and God. And and as I was praying today, I, I really had a sense of the word bitterness, and this came before my testimony earlier, but 
I had a sense as I was asking the Lord for you this morning that there's some people who've been deeply hurt and you need to forgive because the bitterness has this way of jamming up your life with God, blocking your life with God. And the thing about bitterness is it never stays contained. The scripture says it's like a a root that springs up and it defiles many. Because bitterness is always shared with other people. And so it must be repented of. And you must turn away from that. And you must receive forgiveness so that that channel can be set free again. And that doesn't mean the pain of what someone did to you, harmed you, was not real. It doesn't deny that it was wrong. It was wrong. That's why it hurts. The offense is real. But I remind you that Jesus died on the cross. And the center of space and time is not a place where any of us said, we're sorry, Lord. He actually did it before any of us knew anything about it. And so we are called to forgive. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you alone truly know our hearts and you do not despise us. You have paid a great price to make us your own. And we thank you, Jesus, for paying that price on our behalf. And we thank you, Lord, that you're alive and you're with us and you still speak. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and lead us to Jesus, that we might know the beauty and wonder of his grace. It's in his name, Lord. It's for his sake that we pray. Amen.